0: The NFL season kicked off last night. And honestly, something wasn't feeling right. Something was in the air. Aside from the fact that it was a sloppy, heavily penalized game, there's an undercurrent of animosity between fans, players, and ownership. And the feeling of this NFL season, something's just not right. So the NFL season got off to a... Slow, well-penalized, not very well-played game by the Eagles and the Falcons. But the truth of the matter is there was some excitement, a lack of excitement that's that's just missing, that's not in the air. And I do think that whatever side of the equation you're on when it comes to protest or when it comes to players wanting more money, um, holding out for salaries – or your thoughts on Colin Kaepernick, your feelings on Colin Kaepernick and the impact that he's had on this discussion about violence, police violence, about racial inequality. It seems like that baggage is an undercurrent of the beginning of this NFL season. And I, I wonder if it's that, that's going to be something that's going to linger throughout the season. Look, as a fan of the game, I love the game. I love football. I grew up playing football when I was six years old. man. When I was young, super young, played Little League, played DYA, played YMCA. I, I just did it all. Football was my first love. Now, obviously, as I grew and I came into basketball, still had that love for football, basketball took over. I'm gonna keep it 100. I love the game of football, but man, once I really, really got into basketball, football became my side piece. I'm keeping it 100. Love football, always gonna love football, but basketball is king in my house. That said, there's just something to the start of the season that just seems off, and I thought let's start remembering what made football great, because at the end of the day. What makes football great is when the truly great and gifted players in a game can separate themselves from the really good and average players. And they have those signature moments that we remember, those moments that either give us great joy or bring us to tears, break our hearts. Those kind of moments that might make or break your summer, depending on what team you root for. I'm a Niners fan, so obviously over the last few years, we haven't had a lot to root for. But just as a fan of the game, think of some of the great plays, those plays that you can't forget. And the only one that I'm going to say as I name off some of these plays that's number one, and of course I'm biased, you know I am, is the catch. That's Montana to Dwight Clark, NFC Championship game versus those Cowboys. That play, that moment, that signature moment, that is a great signature moment, was the beginning of Joe Cool, that dude. So I'm going to reel off some of these great plays that stand out. These plays, they kind of remind us of what makes football great, why we love the sport. How about the tackle Mike Jones made at the goal line on Kevin Dyson in the Super Bowl versus the Titans? Remember that? I mean, an inch or two more and he could stretch out. And that's a touchdown. That was a great play by Mike Jones. Now, Mike Jones may never go on. He didn't go on to become a Hall of Fame middle linebacker. But he's got a signature moment that's going to last forever. That play. And what hasn't been said about the David Tyree catch versus the Pats? I call it the helmet catch. But at the end of the day, he held on. He caught the ball. And that play set up the next play, which was Eli DePlex, for the game-winning touchdown. That was a great signature moment. And and really, if you watch the whole play, you got to kind of give it up for Eli. He scrambled around, kept the play alive. A couple of times, you thought he was going to get tackled, and somehow he broke free. Great signature play, great NFL moment. What about what Malcolm Butler did? And, And it was a great play by Malcolm Butler. The way he jumped and anticipated the ball at the goal line, great play. But at the same time, he kind of got an assist from Seattle's offensive coordinator. Horrible call. Terrible call. It, it is the worst call, and there's been some bad calls, but it's the worst call I've ever seen in a Super Bowl. Here's one it wasn't a Super Bowl, but it was a great one. Tim Tebow. In overtime versus the Steelers in the playoffs. Hits Demaryius Thomas on deep slant. And Demaryius Thomas takes it to the house 80 yards right off the bat. That was an awesome play. And I'm not a Broncos fan, but just as a fan of the game, that was impressive. That was a great moment. How about Aaron Rodgers against the Lions? Last play of the game. There's there's actually a penalty. There was no time on the clock. He cranks it up. They're down 23-21. He scrambles, extends the play, and then he launches the ball 65 yards in the air. And Richard Rodgers makes a great catch and the pack win the game. That was NFL magic. That, that, those kind of things, that, was, that, that makes the NFL amazing. Those are the kind of plays that make us want to come back, make us want to see more. Want another one? Eagles fans will appreciate this. It's 31-31, Eagles versus Giants. For some inexplicable reason, the Giants punt the ball to Deshaun Jackson. Ten seconds left. Jackson catches the ball, cuts back, cuts again, breaks through, and takes it to the house 65 yards. Philly wins the game 38-31. That was an amazing play. It was also a stupid decision by the the, the, the Giants. I don't understand that. But again, just on the play alone, that was an amazing moment. Those kind of plays, those kind of moments, even if you want to go way, way back. My pops always talks about this game against the Raiders, where um, he says the Raiders basically fumbled the ball forward in the last play of the game to, to, to win the game. Now I never saw it. I think it is on YouTube and you can see it. But that's a crazy moment. I'm thinking about when Joe Montana's in the Super Bowl against Cincinnati and he hits John Taylor on that slant in the end zone for the game winning touchdown. That's an amazing moment. Think about all the incredible catches that Lynn Swann had versus the Cowboys in the Super Bowl all those acrobatic catches and I actually think those catches, those amazing plays that he made I think that's that's what made Lynn Swan's career those amazing standout catches. Signature plays, signature moment, great plays by great players. Mike Singletary's eyes in the NFC championship game versus the Rams. Bears, Rams, 85 Bears. Coming into the game, Bears have one mission shut down Eric Dickerson. Because the Rams have no quarterback, they have no passing game, and they shut down Eric Dickerson. And Mike Singletary was key to that. He plugged those holes. He lit Eric Dickerson up like Christmas. Again, signature moments. Look at Reggie White and what Reggie White did once he went to the Packers. And mind you, Hall of Fame player as an eagle, but he goes to the Packers. And everybody knew once Reggie White went to the Packers, with what the Packers already had with their run game, Favre and those receivers, you knew the Packers were going to win the Super Bowl. I was thinking back to Randall Cunningham. And some of the amazing plays that he made with his legs and his arm. People forget, Randall was incredibly athletic. He could run, but the guy had a cannon arm. Thinking about Joe Theisman and some of the plays that he used to make in that Washington Redskins offense. And he had John Riggins and he had the Fun Bunch and all those guys. I'm just thinking about different reasons why we love the game. How amazing a player LT was. Ronnie Lott. Moving forward, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis. Guys like that, just judging them as players and what they did on the field, they were amazing. And they're part of the reason why we love the game so much. And I'm hoping at some point there's a resolution to all this as a fan. And for all the fans, I hope there's a resolution to where they can just get back to playing the game. Remember... Sports is an entertainment, but it's also an escape for fans from their regular everyday lives. And what they want to do is they want to be able to go out and enjoy those moments with family, friends, and be free of any issues or undercurrents of politics or or anything that's divisive. They're there to have a good time and enjoy those moments and root for their favorite team or their favorite players. I'm not saying sweep things under the rug because I don't believe in that. What I do believe is there can be a resolution, but it needs to be universal between management, the owners, management and the players. Once they do that, once they really do that, this undercurrent, this odd feeling, this animosity that's kind of sitting there and lingering. I think that fades and we just get back to loving the game of football. That's just my opinion. Y'all hit me up and let me know your opinion. Since I didn't do my division winners early this week, I'm going to go ahead and try to make some division picks now. Obviously, it's not a, it's a no-brainer for the Eagles to be favored to win the NFC East. The team that won the Super Bowl actually got more talented on both sides of the ball. And while you can have all the talent in the world, at the skilled positions, and the Eagles have tons of it, provided they can get Alshon Jeffries healthy, what makes the Eagles a threat to actually repeat is which is rare in the NFL is that the Eagles are dominant on the offensive and defensive lines. That said, I don't know if Nick folds is going to be able to be as productive as he was during the postseason and the last few games of the regular season, last season. I think the Eagles will take a slight step back. I, I actually think the winner of this division is going to go 10 and six. I think there'll be a team that's nine and seven. I can understand if the Eagles win the division I'm going to make the Eagles 10 and 6. And I think that because they have the second best quarterback in the division, I wouldn't be surprised if the Redskins go 9 and 7. The Giants, my main concern with the Giants is their offensive line. And can Eli avoid turning the ball over? Look, if Saquon Barkley and that offensive line can mesh, then less of Eli will be more for the Giants in the bigger picture. If Saquon Barkley can tote the ball 20, 25 times a game, and Eli only has to throw the ball between 20 and 25 times, and there's a better balance between pass and run, then the Giants can do some interesting things. But those are big ifs, and Eli still has to break away of those habits he has of forcing the ball into traffic. Having ODB is going to be great. Shepard is going to be improved off of his rookie season. But I think the key is still going to be that offensive line and the run game. With the Dallas Cowboys, they have one of the best offensive lines in of football. No question. The only line I think is better than theirs, I think the Eagles offensive line is as good or better. And they've got Zeke in the backfield. Look, you know what makes Dallas work. You give the ball to Zeke 25, 30 times a game. They They run you down. They wear you down. And Dak makes just enough plays with his legs and arms offensively, and they win games that way. Their offensive line, their run game, and I know people hate this, but let's be real, Dak has talent, but right now, at this stage of his career, he is a game manager. He's a game manager who has the ability to make plays. And his biggest role in this offense is to not turn the ball over. If he makes a, a huge leap, I'm talking about in, in terms of being able to read the field and, look at his, and go through his progressions, then the Cowboys might surprise people this year. My concern for Dak is not just his growth, but my real concern is I don't know if he has enough talent around him on the outside to make plays for him. As far as the Redskins go, you got Mr. No, no Turnover, Alex Smith. You know what you're going to get from Alex Smith. Alex Smith will not lose the game. He'll keep you in the game. And he has the ability to make plays with his legs and arm. I think right now with Carson Wentz out right now today, I think Alex Smith is the best quarterback in that division. I think Alex Smith, along with an improved defense is going to give the Redskins a chance to surprise people this season. But in the end, we'll see how that pans out in the NFC North. You got the Bears, second-year quarterback, Trebensky. We have to see if Trebensky can make that next step, make that next leap and find a way to put the team on his back and win. I still think the strength of that Bears offense is their run game. Obviously, when you get a guy like Khalil Mack on your defense, that's going to energize the entire franchise. I still think even with the addition of Mack, The Bears are a team that can improve, but I don't think they're a playoff contender. When I look at the Lions, it's Matthew Stafford. He's got some good playmakers on the outside. They've got a talented back in the backfield, but I'm not sure he's what I would call a full-time back. I think that his greatest strength is in the pass game. Um, I think they can do a lot of things with this young man. Really talented back. I was trying to think of his name, and it it is escaping me right now. But I think my biggest concern about him is he's a smallish back. He might weigh 200 pounds or less. And I think at the end of the day, Amir Abdullah, that's his name, Amir Abdullah, and Theo Riddick make a great one-two combo. That said, the Lions are one of those teams that every year they seem to be everybody's sexy pick, and they just come up short. I think Matthew Stafford has been one of the most productive quarterbacks over the last six or seven seasons. But he seems to also be one of those quarterbacks like Matt Ryan that puts up massive numbers. But those 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 moments when you need your guy to throw somebody open, when you need him to make that one play, get that one first down, that's game changing. More times than not, more times than not, Stafford and Ryan come up short which is why I don't think the Lions are true contenders this this year. I think this division, rightfully so, the favorite is going to be the Vikings because they're the most balanced team in the division. They have a strong offensive and defensive line. They've got a good run game. They went out and and added Kirk Cousins, who I think is an upgrade. Everything points in the direction of Minnesota, not just winning the division, but Minnesota being one of those teams that's going to be In the NFC Championship game. As far as Green Bay goes, if you've got Aaron Rodgers, you always got a chance. The key for the Packers, though, can that defense make stops? Can it it get the ball? Can it get takeaways? And can they establish some kind of run game so that Aaron Rodgers can stay upright? I'm not sure, but I'll say this. In terms of box office, in terms of guys you want to watch play, I always want to watch Aaron Rodgers play. In the NFC South, which is always a really, really tough dogfight in that division. Look, Drew Brees is the man. All Drew Brees does is put up numbers and he helps his team win games. I think the Saints have one of the most spectacular pass games and then it's complemented by a very strong and underrated run game with Kamara. Kamara, Kamara the thing about Kamara is his versatility not not just that he can catch balls out of the backfield, but he can line up literally like a wide receiver and run a route his route tree resembles that of a number one wide receiver so you factor in his versatility along with Mark Ingram hammering away on the inside and the saints i think the Saints are going to be at the same position they were last year only this year. I don't think they're going to miss that tackle it's going to be interesting with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is one of those teams that they're not that balanced on both sides of the line. Their offensive line is erratic and suspect, just like their quarterback. And their defensive line has talent on it, but it's not consistent. When I look at the Panthers, it seems like they're trying to revamp that run game to complement Cam. If the defense can recapture its dominance and be a top-five defense again, I actually think that Cam those wide receivers in the run game. I think the Panthers are going to have a good season. I actually think the Panthers are going to have a better season than the Atlanta Falcons, which brings me to those Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, it's no secret. The Falcons lost last night to the Eagles, 18 to 12. Here's the thing. They have talent at the skill positions. But what they really have is they have a truly, truly great wide receiver in Julio Jones. I don't believe they have a number two wide receiver. I think their number two is a three or a four. That, that's just a reality. I also think they either their t- tight ends lack the ability to get downfield or they just don't throw the ball to them. They have two very good, talented running backs. But the problem is that offensive line is average at best. They're actually weak on both sides of the ball at the point of attack. And I think that as good as Matt Ryan is, and I've already said this, he and Matt Stafford are the kind of guys that when you need them most, you can't find them. And I'm sure you can look in the the box score and you can look at the stats and it's going to say he had a really good game. But if you actually watch the game, you're going to realize when they needed it most, he couldn't make that throw to get him the win or get him that crucial first down. I don't think the Falcons are going to make the playoffs this season. I just think they're a team that's going backwards and they have an identity and their identity right now is they're soft. In the NFC West, yes, the Rams should be the favorite. Everything points up for them. When you're looking at a team that has the talent that they have on both sides of the ball, you're looking at Jared Goff. Jared Goff coming off a great second year. I think this Rams team is going to be a. Uh, they have a legitimate shot to be in the NFC title game. Look, you can't predict health, but let's say they can keep everybody healthy and avoid any major injuries. I think the Rams are going to be a tough out. I think they have all the components you need to make a title run. They've got one of the most versatile backs, if not the most versatile back in football. Look, there's Le'Veon Bell and there's Gurley. And Gurley's younger, faster. It's really, pick pick your poison, there is no wrong answer. But what they did with the addition of Brandon Cooks is they gave them a deep threat that will open up the field even more for them. So I think this Rams team, they're as balanced as the Eagles, but I think they have an explosive running back. The Eagles tend to go run game by committee, and that's been pretty effective, but I don't think All those backs combined are the equal of Todd Gurley. Which moves us on to the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are kind of not rebuilding, but they're kind of like in the middle. They seem like a middle of the road team right now. You went out and got Sam Bradford, hoping he can hold down the fort until your rookie Josh Rosen develops. The problem is. What you really need is you need that offensive line to mesh, come together, and you need a healthy David Johnson to come back and be the David Johnson he was before the injury. If he's the same guy that he was before the injuries, then the Cardinals have a real shot to make the playoffs. But if he's anything less than that, and that offensive line can't open up holes for them, they're in for a long season. With the 49ers and Jimmy G, it's real simple. Can that offensive line keep Jimmy G clean? And more importantly, I don't think the Niners, look, I'm a Niners fan, but let me keep it 100. I don't think they have any outside talent, which means I'm talking about their receiving core. I like their tight ends. I think both of their tight ends are talented. Both of them can get vertical, but their receivers, unless one of those young receivers step forward along with Malcolm Godwin, I don't know if Jimmy G will be able to make plays down the field, I don't, the, I think the problem with the Niners is Godwin has speed, but he's not an incredible route runner and he's smallish, which means that you can be physical with him at the line of scrimmage. I guess the key is the development of young talent throughout the season on both sides of the ball for the Niners. And with the whole season ahead of him, we'll find out if Jimmy G truly is a franchise quarterback. Now, Obviously as a Niners fan, I hope that to be so. But games are playing on paper, so we'll see. Which brings us to Seattle. A team has always been kind of like a rival to my Niners. But even though they've been a rival, I'm an admirer. I'm a fan of Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson kind of has the same situation as Jimmy G. There's not a lot of offensive talent around him. And his offensive line is not very good. And over the last couple of seasons, all the members of the Legion of Boom, with the exception of Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner, are gone, which means you have vast questions on both sides of the ball. And the only constant that you have is Russell Wilson, who I think is a tremendous player, might be the most underrated quarterback in the league. But when you're a quarterback in this league and you're a one man gang, that's not enough. So I think Seattle's going to struggle this season. I don't think Seattle's going to make the playoffs. Hopefully, Russell Wilson can stay healthy and at least provide their fans with some excitement. So that's my take on the NFC. In the AFC, I'm going to make this real quick. In the AFC East, there is no mystery. There's never been a mystery over the last decade. Barring a major injury, the New England Patriots will dominate that division. Again, we've already talked about this. This is a quarterback-driven league, and you have the greatest, if one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. And he's still playing at a high level. At Buffalo, you got nothing but question marks. In Miami, you're always a question mark. In New York, you're starting rookie Sam Darnold. I don't see a lot of talent on the outside or in the backfield, I think this is going to be a long season for the Jets, but this might be one of those seasons where your rookie does learn and he improves as you go. And that's something that you can work off of. AFC North. This is a story as old as time. The Browns start the year off with a lot of promise. They've got Baker Mayfield. And I know that he's brought a lot of excitement to the to the Browns, and and I know that a lot of the Cleveland frown, fans are more on the upswing. I think they think this is their year not to win anything, but just to have a respectable season, and they they need it. They really need it. That said, I think it's smart that they're going to start Tyrod Taylor because Tyrod Ty, Tyrod Taylor is a solid quarterback. He's athletic. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he doesn't turn the ball over. He's very similar to Alex Smith. You can win with Tyrod Taylor if he has playmakers around him and he's got a stout defense. And I think Cleveland's kind of banking on that. Although at some point you do know if they struggle, if they get off to a bad start, they're going to put Baker in there. And my guess is that'll be the last time we see Tyrod Taylor. With Pittsburgh, it's real simple. Great offense, not so great defense. They have a good secondary. Pittsburgh problem is within that front seven, they don't consistently stop the run game. And on offense, if you're missing Le'Veon Bell, that's a big piece. He is one of the two best running backs in all of football because he can do everything on the field, pass, run, catch, and block. He is a complete football player. And right now, when you listen to all the John and all the complaining and all the whining, what Pittsburgh sounds to me like is a team that's fractured. And that's just strange because you're fractured before game one. That's a problem. If you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you hope that Coach Tomlin can rally them, get them focused on winning football games, and move past any controversy and just focus on football. With the Ravens, I think the Ravens are going to have a bounce-back year. I think the Ravens have one of the underrated defenses in football. I think they drafted well on both sides of the ball. They've added playmakers on the outside. And, of course, with Joe Flacco, a guy who struggled over the last couple seasons. But, to be fair, he didn't have a lot of offensive talent around him. Flacco's one of those guys, and, and this is just who he is, he might not throw for 60 65%. But, at his best, he's that guy... In a tight 10-10 game, he can make that one monster throw that switches momentum and galvanizes his team. Joe Flacco's a winner. He might not be the prettiest quarterback when it comes to numbers and how he looks on the field, but he is a winner. And the fact that they have a rookie sitting behind him who's talented and versatile, but you can tell he still needs to learn the nuances of football and how to run an offense. But once he gets it, Lamar Jackson is going to be a problem, but give him some time. I think the best thing for him is to sit back and watch a veteran like Flacco because he can only learn. and There's nothing wrong with learning the game. In the AFC South, which people think it's a bad division, it's actually a pretty good division. Remember, quarterback-driven league. In the AFC South, you get Marcus Mariota, you get the return of Andrew Luck, You've got Blake Bortles, who I would call Blake Bortles, he's 100% a game manager when he's playing good football. And then you've got Deshaun Watson, who might be the most spectacular guy under center in all of football. The key to all these teams is going to be their play up front. It really will come down to that. If J.J. Watt can come back and be J.J. Watt of old and play right beside and do what he normally does, with an improved the the, James, the Javian that's bad on my part That's a tongue twister my bad Jadavian Clowney. I think the the, the Texans are going to be a tough team to beat I think with the Colts the key is can they keep Andrew Luck clean can he avoid injury The Colts don't have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball I don't think they're a real threat to win the division or even make the playoffs I think this division is going to come down to Jacksonville and the Texans. I think the Titans have some young talent. They have some weapons, but I don't think they're the most balanced team. For the Titans to make a really strong leap forward and really contend, Mariota's got to do more than dink and dunk. He's got to show that he can go through his reads and push the ball downfield. Until that time, the class of this division easily is the Jaguars and the Texans. In the AFC West, it's real simple. The Broncos don't have a quarterback. They're not contending for anything other than getting a good draft pick in next year's draft. Kansas City, with McCombs taking over, is going to be exciting. They're going to be fun to watch. He's athletic. He's got a big arm. And the kid has a natural feel for the game. I'm looking to see Travis Kelsey have a big year. He's a productive tight end. He's always been productive. He's a pro bowler. But I'm talking about a monster year. I think Travis Kelsey has a real chance to lead the league in not only touchdowns, but receiving yards. And he's a tight end. I think he's going to have that kind of season. With the Raiders, man, you trade Khalil Mack. I don't know what John Gruden's doing, but he's putting a lot of weight on Derek Carr. And for Derek Carr, this is a big season. This is a bounce-back season. He's got to bounce back and put together a strong season, put this team on his back, and find a way to keep them in contention. I don't know if the Raiders have the talent on the other side of the ball. I'm not even sure what Gruden's plan is. Uh, I'm not sure the Raiders management know what Gruden They They seem to be kind of in disarray. So what I when I look at what they have right now in place talent-wise, I don't think the Raiders make the, t- the playoffs. I think they're a team that's in flux. When I look at the Chargers, I think the Chargers and the Chiefs are easily the class of this division. I think the division winner will be one of those two. I think the Chargers, this might be another division where you're going to have two teams that win nine or more games. And I think it's going to be the Chiefs and the Chargers, and that's going to be a dogfight. The Chargers have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. But what stands out is I think they have one of the most underrated receiving cores in all of football. And Phillip Rivers can fling the football. He puts up big numbers. The guy's got the ice in his veins. He's consistent, and he's a leader. I think if the Chargers have one weakness, or it's been their weakness over the past few seasons is, they didn't have a lot of explosive talent on both sides of the ball. And I think they did a good job of drafting. I think they balanced balanced themselves out, and they've got playmakers on defense at all three levels. They've got playmakers in the backfield on offense. And they've got playmakers on the wideouts. So I'm looking for the Chargers to have a big season. I'm looking for Phillip Rivers to be an MVP candidate. So while the football season still kind of has that weird undercurrent going on, I'm trying to get excited, y'all. I'm trying to get fired up. I'm trying to get engaged. But I really do want the owners and the players to come together. Because if they do, it's going to benefit us, the fans. In our NBA one-on-one fantasy matchup, H2O Allen Houston versus Clay Thompson, here are some of your Facebook responses. My man Rico said, good matchup. I think Houston's a little better. Putting it on the floor and a little quicker. I'll go with Houston. H says, it's got to be H2O. My man Ray Miller says, it's Allen Houston. Tone Desk, my dude, says, this is a really good question. I think I'm giving the edge to Allen. Kenny M says H2O, Sean William, Clay, because he can also defend, which is true. Clay's a really terrific defender. Lamar Briggs picks Houston. Sean Dash, the troller himself, says, At first I went with Clay because he can defend, but after really thinking about it, I give the edge to Houston because he can put the ball on the deck and Clay can't. You don't have to be a good defender if the other guy has no handle. That's 100% true. Christopher Lloyd said, Houston all day. Joshua says it's got to be Clay Thompson. It's not even a debate. This guy dropped like 60 in 29 minutes off of only 10 dribbles. Clay is also an elite perimeter defender. Josh, you're 100% right. Here's the problem with that though he did score 60 in 29 minutes off of only 10 dribbles. This is a game of one on one. He's going to constantly be trying to dribble and create. He's not he this isn't a game where teammates are being doubled off of and all he has to do is catch and shoot. So that 60 that he dropped in 29 minutes, that has no bearing on a game of one-on-one. Remember, Allen Houston dropped 55 on Kobe. And that was when Kobe was still an elite defender and he just cooked Kobe because Allen Houston actually could put the ball on the deck. Now, I'm not saying who would win the one-on-one. That's not for me to decide. But I'm just going to put out all the facts. Yes, Clay is a terrific shooter, great defender. But in a game of one-on-one, you better be able to put the ball in the deck or you're going to struggle. Leah Jones says, give me H2O because he's just nice. Both of them can shoot, but I think H2O's ability to create his own shot gives him an edge. So those are some of your Facebook responses. I did the one-on-one response today only because this has been an odd week and I didn't really put out as much content. And as many shows as I had planned to, sometimes you get caught up with family. It's easy for me. I got four little girls, so I stay busy. So again, thanks, Facebook fam. Thanks, Anchor. Love the platform. Guys, I'm going to kind of keep trying to be consistent in putting out content. It's easier said than done at times. Not because I lack for ideas or content. It's just that, you know, life can get in the way. We get busy sometimes in our everyday life. So And and, and again, my partner, my dude, my sidekick, he stays busy. So it's actually harder to do a show when it's just me going dolo by myself. The truth of the matter is, at my very, very best, if I was a boxer and I was going to use a boxer analogy, I'm a great, great, gifted counterpuncher. And usually, H is a straight guy. And then I can kind of roll in and vibe off of that. So the truth of the matter is, every show that I do alone, I'm just keeping it real. Every show that I do alone is kind of me going into to uncharted waters because this isn't really my thing. It's kind of like uh, being in sports. As I go along, as I do more show shows, I am guess I'm trying to develop and improve my skill set. I'm trying to be somebody that can hold it down by myself, even though it's not something I had done before. We had done shows before in the past, as I've told you guys, but in that group setting, we kind of spread it around, and it was different because you can vibe off of each other. Having said that, I enjoy this. I enjoy communicating with people. Um, The alerts I get when it says, okay, this amount of people are listening or paying attention, That's cool, too. Ultimately, this is about connection. And I like connecting with other people. So thanks to the anchor family. Thanks to the people that listen on anchor and Spotify. Good looking out. Obviously, all the time to the Facebook fam and to the people that are in the anchor group. I appreciate all y'all. This is the cypher next time. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry.